Okay, so welcome. Uh, if everybody can settle down, um, we'll get started. So uh, before we get started, uh, just to let you know, we're going we're to. This is going to be a sort of a Q and A, uh, more like a discussion than a Q and A. Uh, although I will ask questions and Nathan will answer, and we might have a little dialogue uh, depending on what he says. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, now I have sent out, or your group leaders have sent out on your WhatsApp groups. Uh, Link, okay, a link to a pigeonhole um, Q&A site, okay, so you can go there and uh, enter your questions for, for Nate, right, so I will start, I've got a bunch of questions, uh, Nate, we might be here all night, I have 26 questions of my own, and uh, I have no idea how many the, the audience is going to come up Get with. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, right, with pigeonhole, you guys have used it before. You know, you can post your own questions or you can look at what others have posted and vote them, okay? So the, it sort of bubbles up to the top. So we'll go with the questions with the most votes because I guess that, in, that indicates the, there's more interest, okay? So before we get started, uh, let's uh, just keep the questions coming, keep posting. You know, we'll switch between uh, what I'm asking and, uh, and then, uh, you know, to whatever questions that you all post. Okay, can we all settle down? I think there's too much buzz. I can hear it all the way here. Okay, I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for the wonderful day that we have had, Father, and we just glorify you, Lord. We give glory to your name. We worship you, Father, for for your goodness, for your mercies, for your saving us, Father. And we just pray, Lord, that as we have this time with uh, Nate, uh, we, we want to get to know him. Uh, we want to get to know Christ, but we also want to get to know him and hear his testimony, Lord. And we just pray that, um, that we will be able to see his heart and that it would be an encouragement to us, Lord. And not only that, for the doubts and questions that we might have, that he can help us to understand. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would use him uh, to, uh, to give us the insights, Lord, uh, into, into your word and into uh, practical Christian living. We commit this time into your hands in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, kids, I want you guys to keep absolutely quiet, okay? All right? No noise, huh? Cool? Yeah? Thank you, Bella. Okay, so Nate, um, why don't we start, uh, I guess we want to know a little bit about your testimony, and maybe then we can get into some, uh, some other topics as well. Um, so, so, you know, I was telling uh, this morning that, that I've known about you for a long time, uh, but, you know, I, I was thinking back... You know, when I was 17, 18, I moved to the U.S. And one of the things that, um, I, that's where I became familiar with the, the Bramson name. Uh, and the way that happened is because I used to read um, um, the, um, uh, what is it, the CMML magazine, Missions magazine. Uh, used to come every month and, and there was always an update from Paul and Carol Bramson in Senegal. Um, now that was some 30, 30, I don't know how many, 34 years ago. Uh, and I, don't, I guess, I don't know if you were, uh, were you born then? I'm t- that's a roundabout way of I asking how old you are. three and a half years after they got there. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, so, so anyway, so you, you, you obviously grew up as an MK or a missionary kid. Um, tell us a little bit about your childhood, the early years, where you grew up and, and, and what that life was like. Sure. So I did. I grew up, I was born and raised in Senegal, West Africa. And I lived there for my first 16 years. And as I mentioned this morning, just to include the question asked before about testimony, um, you know, I grew up around the gospel. My parents, obviously, missionaries, evangelists, uh, church planting, radio work. 
Uh, and so I saw, I, I saw the gospel in action, but I think what really impacted me was my parents were exactly the same people behind closed doors. Um, their testimony was consistent. My father, uh, my father was a big impact on my life. In fact, I'll tell you, and this may be encouragement to you fathers out there, the three most powerful things I think my father ever said to me were, I love you, um, being thankful, thank you, but also, uh, I'm sorry. And just seeing that humility um, in my dad and seeing him uh, live the gospel, he and my mom both, uh, early on at the age of four years old, as I mentioned this morning, I realized that I needed a savior. I knew that even though I was born into a Christian family, even though my parents uh, loved the Lord, that did not give me eternal life. Jesus Christ died to give me eternal life, but I knew I had to put my faith in him. And so I accepted Jesus Christ at four years old, but that's only when the journey really began because I had another God in my life and that God was basketball. And I was completely consumed with the sport of basketball and all my dreams were to be a professional basketball player one day. I wanted to, it didn't have to be NBA, but I wanted to play in professional leagues somewhere. And so I put all my energy and time really into um, just perfecting my game as much as possible. That's actually why my parents moved back to the United States. A primary reason was to give their son the opportunity to play in a good high school so that he could get a college scholarship and uh, play in the United States before going professional. So we moved back to the United States right before my 16th birthday, or I was 15 and a half. And I, you know what? I, I was a Christian. I love Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, and this is important. I was trying to add Jesus to my life. And Jesus doesn't want to be part of my life. Jesus wants everything. He doesn't want part of any of us. He is to be Lord of our life. He is Lord, but he wants to be Lord of our life. And so with that being said, I got back to the States, and you know what? All my plans were going perfectly. I had the team to play for. I had the position on the team that I wanted. I had college scouts coming to my games. I had a former NBA trainer. I had everything working for me. And then that's when God really grabbed a hold of my life. It happened one very normal day. I was in California, and I had just like worked out, got home. I was studying, studying the Bible because I still remember I, I accepted Christ. Uh, he, he was in my life. Uh, the Holy Spirit definitely was convicting me. And I was reading Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And I came to the part where it says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us looking to jesus one thing caught my attention where it said let us lay aside every weight and the sin and i realized that in my life basketball wasn't a sin in itself but it's a weight and it was dragging me down and i would never run freely for the lord until that which came before the lord was out of my life And I came into my mom and dad's room as a 16-year-old, big athlete, much bigger than I am now. I literally haven't lifted weights since a teenager. And I said, with tears down my face, mom and dad, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you, but I'm pretty sure I have to quit basketball. Now, remember, they just moved thousands of miles for me to play. And uh, they said, can we pray about it? I said, we can pray, but I don't think it's going to do any good. I think the Lord's already made it clear. They said, can we still pray? I said, okay, let's pray. So we started praying, and I just asked, can we stop praying after a while? I was like, I've got to obey. And they said, we support you. You've got to call your coach and teammates, though. And so I did. It was at that point, my friends, like that was when really an entire shift happened in life. 
It was at the age of 16 that as soon as that happened, God opened my eyes and I started to see children in a different way. I started to see these as precious treasures that God wanted me to invest my life into. And so that was at the age of 16. At the age of 16, my local assembly had me start speaking. By 17, I was traveling and sharing the gospel and uh, everything changed. But the first thing that had to go was the idol of my life and that was basketball. So I accepted Christ at four and I truly believe I had a relationship with him, but it wasn't really until 16 that there was surrender. So, so Nate, um, you know what's, what's very uh, funny about your answer is that you, you, you already hit about four questions that I had. So, so the basketball one was in there. It was number 18, though. Uh, but, but let me just pick up on that. Um, so that, that realization, the way you described it, seems like it happened sort of on a day. But was the Lord working on getting you to that point, or was it really an instantaneous sort of thing that came to you when you were reading Hebrews 12 that, that day? Okay, that's a great question. I, I would say there, there are a lot of things that the Lord did up to that point in breaking me. And part of that was probably leaving Senegal because Senegal was my comfort zone. And I think oftentimes the Lord first breaks us from our comfort zones before uh, showing us what things really are in our life. And so the Lord definitely had, had a lot of other pieces on that journey. But this is something I would, I, I say to myself, so I encourage you with it as well. Many times the Lord is doing things in our life where we wouldn't necessarily begin. So I'll give you an illustration. Let's say Philip, who already knows the Lord Jesus, but let's say he comes to know the Lord Jesus. Now, I could look at Philip's life and be like, Philip, now that you know Jesus Christ, this has to change and this has to change and this has But that's not my role. I'm not the Holy Spirit. It's true. Any sin in our life, any priorities misplaced, they need to change. But the Holy Spirit is so gracious to take us step by step. And I really believe that's what he did with me. It's not that basketball wasn't in the way for many years, but he did. He slowly was breaking me of dependencies I had, and he knew when I was ready to actually, um, yeah, surrender. And, And let me just tell you this, too. It was no sacrifice in the end. You, uh, people couldn't say, oh, man, you made, you made a real sacrifice. No, I didn't. The greatest sacrifice I could have made would be to hold on to basketball. It's never a sacrifice when you get to walk with the Lord. So, Nate, Nate uh, uh, you use the term idol. You know, basketball had become your idol. It was your God. Um, what are some things that, obviously, we all, we all have idols. We, we can have idols. Yeah. They might change over time. But um, what are some ways that, that that we as believers can and should go about identifying idols in our life and rooting it out. I think you sort of alluded to it in the morning message, but maybe you can just uh, articulate that. No, absolutely. That's a phenomenal question. And by the way, just so you know, there's a a chapter that really deals with um, just idolatry in our lives in What If Jesus Meant What He Said. And I want to tell you that you can all download this book for free online. If uh, The website's uh, rockintl.org. It would be better if you bought it so that, um, you know. Well, if you buy it, 100% goes to a girl's school in Senegal. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I like. Yeah, it's it, not to benefit Nate. It's it, to no. Benefit the um, so I just want to tell you that, like, there's no, there's no um, ulterior motives of profit being made there. Um, and you can get it on Amazon or you can get it through our website, all that. But I also want you, you can download it for free anytime. And that was a deal with the publisher before saying that it has to always be available for free. But in there, there's a lot more answer to this question. I'll give you a brief part, though. Idolatry. When you think of idolatry, 
you oftentimes think of the lost world. You think of, of people that are not saved, but that's not the way the Bible puts it in the New Testament. If you see Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about putting away idols. And remember what John says in 1 John five twenty one. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. And so idolatry is an issue in the church. But what it really is idolatry, idolatry is anything that comes before the Lord uh, or anything that takes the place that the Lord should occupy in our life. And so if you want to identify idols, there's a bunch of questions you could ask yourself, but I'll just ask you a few. And these questions will identify most likely idols. The question is not, do you have idols in your life? The question is, what are your idols? Uh, And so uh, some questions, here we go. Um, You could ask yourself, what do I want to make sure people know about me? You'll oftentimes find an idol. It could be your appearance. It could be your sports team. It could be your intellect, something you know. It could be a relationship you have. How about this? What do you like spending your money on most? You'll probably find an idol there. Maybe it's clothing. Maybe it's electronics. Maybe it's just the newest thing. Just look at your, look at your credit card statements. Look at, look at your receipts. You'll find your idols. How about this? What do you complain about most? What you complain about probably is going to identify an idol. Because we get really fidgety and unhappy when people start touching our idols. You want to know what, what idol I've been really struggling with lately? Like, very recently? My schedule. When people mess up my schedule, I realize, wow, that's where I complain. It's an idol. There's no justifying. Don't tell me it's okay. It's not okay. When my schedule comes before a soul, that's not okay. Christ didn't die for my schedule. He did die for the soul. And so things like that, when I start asking, I got a lot more questions, all right? Like so you can ask later, I'll give you a whole list. But um, those are the types of questions I ask myself. And let me tell you, idolatry is not a one-time, let's root out idols. Idolatry is a constant thing. In fact, you can make it a daily thing if you want to just ask the Lord, is there something in my life today that's taking the place you should occupy? Yeah, you, you mentioned about uh, sometimes we think that idols are something that we only ask about uh, non-believers. And of course, we're here in India and uh, Hinduism is, uh, is the biggest religion here, 80, 80 85% of the people. And, and I think uh, you're absolutely right. We all have idols. It's so that they actually give form to them in terms of objects. So, uh, so for example, they have, there is an idol for, uh, or a god, deity for wealth. Okay, it's called Lakshmi. There's a deity for education. It's called Saraswati. Um, but at the same time, we all, we all have idols of education. Is a big idol in our culture where we want to make sure that our children are educated. They become doctors and engineers and get good jobs and get good spouses and all these kind of things or wealth. So we just don't have an idol sitting in front of us that we worship. At the same time, you know, uh, the idol is there in our, in our minds, right? So... Uh, you're, you're absolutely spot on. And there. maybe every time you see a Hindu idol, as you drive <laughs> through town, and we saw a couple come back from the airport, ask yourself, do I have an idol? As you got reminders all over the place. So maybe every time you see a Hindu idol, maybe just say, all right, hang on, what's my idol right now? Usually our, 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 our first reaction is, oh my goodness, they're idol worshippers. <laughs> and oh, I'm and not. <laughs> other people are always the problem. <laughs> okay, so Nate, I want to just take, take you back to your teen years. Um, and uh, uh, so, so you mentioned that when you were 17, right? That, that you had the basketball, yeah. So did you face uh, 
I mean, what kind of challenges and temptations and issues? Were you always a, a good kid or did you get into bad habits and things like that? Uh, to the extent no, you can no, share. No, that, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, okay, so I was, uh, this, is, this is equally evil, okay? But I was very self-righteous. Um, I, I very, in many ways, I, I, I wanted to please my parents and that's fine, that's good. Um, but I think oftentimes there was just this, this image that I wanted to hold up to. So I really was not a rebellious kid growing up. And, I, and I, I'll be honest, like you can ask me a lot of other questions. I've dealt with a lot of sin in my life and uh, just struggles from depression to and panic attacks to things. It's like, there, so I'm not going to hide any of that. That's not what I'm saying. But during my teenage years, I legitimately was a very obedient kid. And like, I didn't, I, I didn't get in and mess around with girls. I wasn't, um, you know, into drugs. And I'll tell you one reason why, though. It wasn't for the reasons you think. I was a basketball player. And I didn't want distractions. So I didn't want anything that would keep me off the court. I didn't want to eat poorly. I didn't want to go to bed at a bad time. I want everything for me was channeled around basketball. So it really did dominate. Um, I will say that it was more so, um, it, it, it really became more so after leaving home that I started to realize that, okay, this isn't about pleasing my parents because my parents aren't seeing anything I'm doing now. And I felt like I had to come face to face and confront everything that many times teenagers confront. I had to confront those things and make the decisions later on about where was I standing on these things. But, um, but no, I, the honest answer is um, that, that really wasn't the time of life that I, yeah, that I, that I really struggle with that. But, but, um, Definitely after the age of 16, my whole focus changed. And let me tell you this. The greatest uh, antidote, I guess you'd say, to, to living in the sin, and we talked about it in the guys group, is pursuing Christ. And I find that throughout my life, when I do struggle with sin, it's when I'm being lazy. And it's when I'm choosing to like uh, just live for myself. And then that's when I definitely have all these things that pop up and, and I have to confront it over and over. But when I'm actually pursuing the mission that God's already doing in the world, when I'm plugging into what God's up to, it's amazing the freedom. The freedom that you, the things that, that so often tempt you, it's not even there. So um, that's really, that, that was really the greatest thing was seeing. I'm part of a bigger story, and I get to, I get to be part of what God's doing. And I guess the, the key there is that is being part of that story, right? So, so I, I think the point you were trying to make was that Regardless of what your vocation is or, or where you are or what you're doing, you might be working in the secular field, but you still uh, are plugged into what God is doing wherever you are. Yes, and, and to add to that, um, Hudson and I were talking about this earlier today, and then at the table tonight, three, a few of us were talking about it. People ask oftentimes, what do you do? And the typical answer, if I came up to you and I said, what do you do? You're going to tell me your occupation. But if you ask me, Nathan, what do you do? I'll tell you, I follow Jesus Christ. And I happen to operate on brains on the side. Or I happen to uh, be the CEO of Google. Or I happen to... That's not who I am. That's the side element. And why? Because your occupation will change. But is your identity really changing? No. Who you are in Christ is who you are. I challenge you that when you have that as your primary identity, 
it changes the way you view. And so then what you said, absolutely true. So great. You work in IT. Phenomenal. What do you have? Souls. Invest. So you work in a hospital? Great. Invest. It's a place and it's got people. A place and it's got people. That's what matters. A place and people. So whether you're a full-time missionary or whether you're a full-time doctor, you still have a place and you still have people and you're plugging into what God's doing. Very good. So, uh, Nate, uh, you, you said you had the, when you had the basketball thing and you, you had the change, uh, um, you, uh, you got a burden for, for kids, right? Uh, so, so, sometime after that, you founded Rock, Rock International. So, can you just tell us a little bit about Rock International? What is it? How does it function? Um, you know, what do you do as part of Rock? Sure. So, at the age of 21, I graduated from university, and one month later, I moved to the Middle East. And I wasn't going to the country I went to. I went to Egypt, but that's not where I said. I was going to, going to Lebanon. And right after, I went to Egypt to study Arabic for three months before going. And while I was there, bombs started falling on Beirut, and the school shut down where I was supposed to work and study. And so I was stranded in Cairo. So I said, okay, Lord, like you, you brought me this far. I'll stay right here until you show me the next step because my plans changed, but yours haven't. So let's keep going. So I started. Well, I was like, all right, Lord, uh, I'm going to study Arabic, but you know, I, I want to serve kids. So show me the kids I should invest into. So I started, uh, I started working with, um, with international kids, with refugees. I lived, I moved to a slum eventually, the, a slum in, in Cairo called Garbage City, uh, Mokotam. And then I also worked with street children. So as I worked with street children, I started to recognize that I was very limited in my access to them with the government because they want you to be with an organization. Well, as I looked into organizations that I want, that I could work with, I realized that I, I could end up being behind a desk for 10 years or, um, or just even working with organizations that don't have the gospel as a focus. And I didn't want to waste any of my life in something that I felt was good, but not what God had called me to. And so I started looking into, all right, Lord, would you have me just start an organization? Not because the organization's important. I don't care about organizations, but it's a tool. It's a tool to access kids that I cared about. And so, uh, long story short, six months later, in December of 2006, I was 22, um, I started an organization called Rock International. It stands for Relief, Opportunity, and Care for Kids. And, uh, and we, we really started on the premise that everything we do was going to touch kids' lives for time and eternity. And also, we wanted to make sure that all the money that goes to Rock goes directly to the kids and the projects or the resources. So those that work with Rock don't make any salary. God will provide for their needs. But everything that's given has to go directly to the kids and to what we're doing. And that was just so there's no ulterior motives. Um, and then also we wanted to work together with the body of Christ. Be very clear on the gospel, but don't be divided based off denominations. And so that's really how Rock International was started in the Middle East. And now today we, we're opening up a girls' school down in uh, Tanzania. We've got some projects in Senegal, in Niger. We have a youth center, and now we're work, working on building an orphanage, but it's still a ways away. Uh, but it's just one step at a time. And then we have resources in uh, over 100 languages. And all those, of course, you can download for free. Many Indian languages as well um, on our website, same website, rockintl.org. So um, that's how Rock started. Let me just say, though, that 
one year into Rock, we realized that it was an organization that could also be used to provide resources. So we have two acronyms, Relief, Opportunity, and Care for Kids. And the other side is Resources of Crucial Knowledge. Both are Rock. So we're Rock International, but we have two divisions. Um, and my dad works full-time as well with us, um, specifically within the resources. So how many people do you have working uh Full-time or part-time? Uh... We, full-time, we have about uh, 25 that, that work. But then in the, in the countries themselves, obviously, we have loads of partners. And that's really how we work because we work through the local church. And here's one thing about us. We don't want our name to grow big. So as soon as the local church in a country can take something over, we give it to them. Our name's not affiliated with it because I believe the Lord works through the local church. That's what he chose to use. So we want to come alongside the local church, be a tool that they can use when they need it. If we don't need rock, we don't use rock at all because we're not into making an organization big. Instead, we're just about being faithful with what God's given us. So I'm not excited about Rock International. I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. And if it's a tool I can pull out and use, great. But as soon as it can be in the hands of the local church and we don't need it as a platform, we won't use it. So primarily we use it in places where the government requires us yeah. to have that legal entity. Yeah, that, that's a great perspective. So, so you do a lot of itinerant preaching and, and traveling and all that. Uh, so to what extent are you involved with what Rock does today? So one thing the Lord always burdens me with is to work myself out of a job. And so I'm always trying to pass it off to others because I believe there's always people that are better at what I'm doing than, than me. And so within the body of Christ, he's given many gifts. And so I'm always on the, the scout for those gifts, the gifts the Lord's given to the body. And so when I can pass it off to others, um, it's not just here you go. It's let's walk together for a little bit, and then you pass it off, and they have your blessing. So I started in Egypt, passed the work off after four years, and that was four or five years. And that was more so because I was being forced out of the country. But in Niger, um, after three years, God had brought together a great team. And so, uh, so I, I said, I'll stay two more years. We established a leadership team, and I just kind of walked with them in discipleship. And then in September of 2017, I left Niger. We still go back, but Priyanka and I, to encourage, but we're not based there. Now we're back in the prayer closet, praying over four countries specifically, but we're just asking the Lord, would you have us be based in another country again? Or do you want to see teams establish and help, let us help mobilize these teams? But during that in-between time, there's a lot of itinerant work going on. Because again, the Lord's opening these doors. I don't knock on these doors. The Lord opens them. Um, and then we, we take the ones he, we believe he's leading us into. So itinerant work, it's not very limited right now, as you said this morning. But it, it is in the sense of... When the Lord calls us to another place, we'll gladly set this aside to go be based somewhere else. So I'm involved in Rock International on a daily basis um, from a logistics point of view, encouraging um, the workers and legal things in the United States. But we have a board of directors that handles a lot. And so my primary focus is pouring into my generation to see them be unconditional followers of Jesus Christ and ultimately to see teams mobilize in unreached areas around the world. So we have, we have a lot of questions coming in now. Okay. Uh, I'll get to them, but maybe I'll just ask you one more and then we'll go to the questions from the group here. Um, can you just help us understand, you know, what does Nate Bramson do to keep himself 
spiritually sharp? You know, what are the disciplines that you maintain? Um, give us some insight into your prayer life, your study, Bible study. You know, how do you go about that? How much time do you spend? Okay. I, ha- I have to say a couple things first. Um, answering this question can paint the wrong image. Um, I, I will seek to be honest with you, but a couple things. One, understand that in everything I say, there are times of great weakness where I'm not consistent. Understand as well that these disciplines are because I'm weak. And, and be reminded that On my best day and on my worst day, I'm a sinner saved by grace. So I, one, one major thing I see throughout Scripture is that men of God and women, but we see it really in the men of God, men of God get up early. And I believe that that's really where it starts. It's okay. If I sleep, if I sleep in, I don't feel condemned, but I feel like I missed an opportunity. So one thing I really believe is uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the chief things for my life is getting up early. And I'll just say it's very early um, if I get up on time. Um, this morning, I did give myself an extra hour and a half of sleep um, getting over the traveling. But uh, normally, I try to get up around 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And that gives me a few hours to just hang out with the Lord. And let's talk about that. For me, hanging out with the Lord and even prayer life, if you look at the word prayer in Scripture, the word prayer doesn't really have anything to do with talking. Isn't that interesting? When we think of prayer, we think of talking. But when Jesus talks about prayer, prosukomai being the word, if you read in Matthew 6 or really anywhere it talks about prayer, prayer, the word prayer literally means turning your face toward God. So prayer involves talking, but prayer does not mean talking. A lot of prayer is silence. A lot of prayer is waiting on the voice of the Holy Spirit in conviction of sin, righteousness, wisdom. Obviously, being in the Word is part of prayer life. And so during these three hours, the idea is it's a mix of just hanging out in the presence of God, looking to Him, and processing my day through the lens of eternity. And so it's, I want to soak in the word, I want to marinate in the word, I want to read the word, I want to talk to God, I want to bring people before the Lord. But ultimately, I want the mind of Christ for the day. And I want to see you through the eyes of Jesus. And I'll talk about that more in some sessions later on, how I look at you. And when you realize how I look at you and I say, I really love you guys, I really do love you guys because I see something when I look at you that you might not realize I even see. So with that being said, that's the start. But, but something else that's very important, and we mentioned the men's session, that's not my time with God during the day. See, I don't have a time with God. I live with him. He's with me moment by moment. And so when I leave those times and I start interacting with Hudson and I start interacting with whoever else, my time with God's not done. He's with me in those conversations. If I have five minutes free, a lot of times you see me sneak out. I try to have a lot of silent moments during my day. I need refreshment. I need to just think through what's been happening. I need to refresh myself with a verse or two. I need to talk to God for a few minutes. Just he's my friend. He's my God, but he's also my friend. 
So that's been a key thing in my life is practicing that presence of God. Enjoying his presence moment by moment. Every conversation. You don't realize this, but a lot of times when you come up and ask me a question, I'm talking to God at the same time. I'm saying, Lord, you know I don't have the answer for this person. So what would you say? And the Lord gives the answer so graciously. It's all him. There's another discipline that's very important is fasting. And and if you want to talk more about this later on, but it's neglected in the church oftentimes, especially in North America, incredibly neglected. In fact, some people tell me they can't fast for health reasons. It's interesting that I only find that in North America and Singapore. Only two places I've been where they said, we can't fast for health reasons. Over in our part of Africa, there's never a health reason that keeps you from fasting. It's interesting. I, I know some of our doctors here and you'll say, Let me just tell you, though, there's a special, special thing that comes through that. When your flesh is robbed of what it wants, the spirit is amazingly alive. Jesus Christ talks about fasting so much in his ministry, and fasting is talked about more in Scripture than baptism. It's a major fundamental aspect of life in Christ. What that looks like, it can be many things, but I just want to encourage you that that's an important part, too whether it's a periodic, periodically you go on a fast or whether it's once a week or whether it's just a major limiting yourself of food. But I just want to encourage you that those disciplines are also important. So that's a few insights into, into it. Obviously, there's other things we could say, but that's more on a daily basis. Okay. Thank you, Nate. That's, that's very insightful. So, so you won't believe what the, the most popular question is. What's that? Um, Tell us the story of how you met your wife. But before you answer, uh, I, I want to make sure that this is not just people asking out of curiosity. So we want to we want to get some some um, you know some uh, insight based on how you met your wife. So that's a great question. So maybe I'll just expand it um, uh, a little bit there. Um, you know, how did you meet Priyanka? Um, you know, we have a lot of young people here of age to get married, and at least in the last couple of days, I had two two people just ask me this question, you know, uh, how do I know, um, you know, that I found the right, right person, right, that God has for me. So how did you know that she was the one who God wanted for you? Uh, how did you go about, um, you know, I, I guess I'd use the word courting uh, her. Um, so if you can use it as a way to communicate to the yes. young people here how they should go about it in their own lives, <clears throat> what are the boundaries that you need to have um, you know, just take it away in that. Episode. I think we can definitely do that, George. And I think I can do it pretty succinctly as well. By the way, chapter 12 is all about framing your relationships by the word of God. And so it's explained a lot more. And again, um, just if you want to, if you want the details, even the questions I'm about to share with you, they're all there. So you don't have to write them down. You can just go get the list later on. But in relationships, I think what's exciting about it is this. Um, the, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And, and I'll tell you, I was completely satisfied in Christ not getting married. Completely. It was not always that way. I struggled greatly early in my 20s, and I wanted to be married. I wanted to be married. I wanted to be married. And the Lord, though, was very gracious to show me a few things of just, Nathan, be patient. Like, don't jump into things. So all that to say is, I want to encourage you, if you're not satisfied in being single, you're probably not ready to be married. The reason I say that is this, not because the Lord doesn't have marriage for you, but a husband or a wife cannot satisfy you. They're a blessing from the Lord, but the Lord has to be your satisfaction. Otherwise, you're setting your marriage up for failure, 
because you're putting expectations on someone that the Lord only can fulfill, and you're making them an idol before you even get married. So I want to encourage you, find that satisfaction in the Lord. It doesn't mean your desire to be married goes away, but it means you're satisfied. It's okay. Let me just go ahead and encourage all the single folks here with the secret. I don't want to say secret. It's in the Word of God, but I had a little, a little something that really helped me through my single years. Remember how I talked about living every day in the presence of God? Okay. So when I thought about being single, sometimes I'd be like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if I can be single for the rest of my life. And the Lord says, Nathan, you don't need to be single for the rest of your life. Can you be single today for my glory? Just today. And he gave me two verses that changed my view. And when I lived today, it was never a problem. It was when I thought about the future that was a problem. Listen, two verses. First verse, Matthew 6.34. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. Jesus tells me, Nathan, you don't have permission to worry about tomorrow. And so I'm like, okay. So I got today. I can worry about today. Well, what does he say about today? You know, and that's not true either. I can't worry about today, but you get my point. The, the second thing is Lamentations 3.23. And the word of God tells us that his mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I realized that every morning when I woke up, He had a package for me. It was a package of mercy as a single man. And that package of mercy can get me through till midnight every day. It was mercy not only to survive. It was mercy to thrive. It was mercy to live for the glory of God in that. So that really helped me. So I want to encourage you. Live today. Today you're single. Who knows about tomorrow? But today you're single. Live it for the glory of God. You have great opportunity. And I can tell you being single was... It was, was equally satisfying as being married. It's just different. And both are blessed. Really, richly blessed. Now, with relationships, let's say something else here. When you pursue a, a, a relationship, please don't ever ask the question, is what I'm doing bad? In other words, am I going, I'm gonna, and I'll, I'll make sure I use good language, having young, young ears here, but... Am I, am I going too far? None of those questions need to be asked ever. Ask a different question. How do my actions reflect the holiness of Jesus Christ? Or how does my action please Jesus? Don't live to be good or bad. Live to please the Lord. So in your relationships... Set, your, set it up in such a way where every step of that relationship, you want to show how important Jesus is to you. Even if nobody else sees it, or if it's only you two that see it, make sure that your first pursuit is to please him. So, how did I find Priyanka, or how did the Lord bring her to me? Well, you know, for many years, I had what I wanted in a girl. But then the Lord kindly led me a different direction. He says, Nathan... You have all the answers, but you're not asking the right questions. So the Lord gave me 10 questions. And these are the 10 questions I started to ask. And I asked them for years before Priyanka came across my path. These were the 10 questions about the girl that I was like, Lord, I know these things need to be true. And if there's any no, it doesn't mean she's a bad girl. It just means that this is not the girl I should pursue. And here are my questions. First of all, Does this girl cause me to love and want to know Jesus more? 
If I don't want to know Jesus more because of her, hello, that's not a good marriage. Second question, does she love Jesus more than she loves me? If she loves me more than Jesus, I'm an idol. And why would I want to put myself in someone's life as an idol? Obviously, in marriage, that can happen, and you have to work through that. But you don't want to start a relationship off idolatrous. Third question, can we serve Jesus better together, more effectively together than apart? If the Lord has her serving in such a way and me in such a way where we can be more faithful, effective in the Lord's work apart, I don't want to draw her away, nor do I want to be drawn away, because I believe that run the race God has for you and then see who's running it with you. The Lord will bring those across your path that share the passion he placed in you. Question four, does she share a passion to see youth unconditionally follow Jesus? I want, I want kids, I want young people to give everything to Jesus. I want us to talk more about giving our life for Christ than giving our life in marriage. I want to see a generation completely committed. Well, imagine if I marry a girl that's like, eh, I don't think they should give everything. That's not going to work either. So that was my next question. Number five, is she willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ? God's called us to work in places in the world at times where death is a real possibility. I want to make sure I'm marrying a girl that's already realized her life is hidden with Christ and God, and she's willing to lay down her life. One thing about Priyanka is I saw her going to northern Jordan and working with Syrian refugees. And if I, did, if I wasn't in her life, she probably would have moved over there. She was already willing to die. Question number six. And I've asked her this very I asked her multiple times before we got married. I even mentioned it at my wedding. Is she willing to be a widow early in life? If she's not willing to be a widow early in life, I'm the wrong guy. Next question. Do I pray more because of her? Any relationship you're in ought to drive you more into that prayer closet to look at the face of God. Question eight, would she make a good mother of my children? Is this the woman that I would want to raise my kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Question nine, does she increase my vision for the lost? Question 10, is she honest but encouraging? How important it is to marry somebody who tells you the truth who actually exhorts you in the Lord, but still encourages you in the Lord. So those were my 10 questions. And I'll tell you, as I looked to the Lord with those things, he brought Priyanka across my path. And I just saw, she's a 10-question girl. But that wasn't the end of the relationship. That was only the beginning. And it took years of a pursuit and just really seeking the Lord together and waiting for the Lord to bring other people to the point of, Especially one person, um, just to the point of seeing it as, yes, we can give our blessing this. Um, and, and that was hard because sometimes when you see what you see, you want to just move things forward. But the Lord had a different time frame, and that was okay. It was beautiful. He taught us things. We were thousands of miles apart during the relationship. Um, but the Lord used that to mold us in many ways. So just remember, the Lord's schedule oftentimes doesn't line up with ours. But it's beautiful and it's perfect. And I'm so thankful now to um, get to share life and ministry and just joy with Priyanka. And uh, we're excited with what the Lord will do as we minister together. It's not her joining the ministry God called me to. It's two becoming one and ministering in what God's, ca- God's called us to. So, uh, but where did you meet her? 
We met actually at a conference in New Jersey. She was a grad student at, uh, in New York City. And I was speaking um, to a group of youth there for the weekend. And she was a youth leader. And so she was attending. And that was the first time we met. And that was about six years ago. And then it wasn't, and I saw her multiple times after that at different conferences and discipleship training programs that she was part of. Um, and it was a, about a year and a half later that we started to be more intentional in our friendship. And then it was two and a half years after that that we got engaged. And a year after that almost that we got married. So, so Nate, you mentioned one thing. I just want to get into that a little bit. But if it's some area yeah. you don't want to get into, I understand. That's okay. So you mentioned there was one person that you, was that a parent? It was. Okay, so the reason I'm asking the question is we do have people who maybe have an interest in somebody and uh, maybe they've asked the, I don't know if they've asked the 10 questions, but regardless, you know, uh, they've got a situation where a parent is, is um, against it, right? And then the question becomes, do we go against them? Do we wait? Uh, what would be your uh, advice on how to handle that situation? Well, I think when you, when you talk to the Lord, he guides you in how to pray. And so I'm not going to say there's one answer for everyone, but when I, when I was praying, I, for whatever reason, and the Holy Spirit's the reason, I, I specifically prayed that I wanted the blessing of all of our parents. And the reason I wanted blessing was permission's a different thing. I had their permission early on, right away. But there was one I didn't have the blessing of. And I believe in the blessing of God, and I believe there's a blessing in marriage that comes from parents giving their blessing. And you know, you don't have to agree with the reasons to agree with the word of God. And I really saw that honoring her parents was being patient. And to be honest with you, we completely, if you want to say broke up, we weren't even dating, but we broke up. And I said, I'm sorry, like I cannot move forward without this blessing. And so for a year of those two and a half years, I told her, I said, if another guy comes in your life and the Lord leads you to pursue him, pursue him. Because like, this is a no and we have to accept it from the Lord. So for me personally, I was convicted that I was to wait for what the Lord's best is. And I believe that was having the blessing of her parents. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I can see examples that others have that maybe differ. So I'm not going to, I'm not judging you for the way that you handled it. But for me, I needed to be obedient. Okay, good. And, and I think you have some good news, right? Uh, we have great news. Uh, we're expecting our first, our first child in April. And we're very excited to be parents. Very good. So um, um, the, um, uh, I guess uh, there's, there's a question that's actually second here. Um, somewhat related to this. Why did you have 33? Was it 33 or 31? 33. 33 groomsmen at your wedding. So by the way, I, I watched a little bit of your video uh, of your wedding on While Facebook. walking in. And, and it, was, it was amazing. You had two aisles and people were just walking down. The, the bridesmaids were walking down both and they were like sprinting. And it still took about 15 minutes, I think, to get. <laughs> and yet we kept the whole ceremony to about 45. So that was a miracle too. So yeah, so there's a curiosity question here, you know, why? Okay, great uh, question. Because I disciple a lot of young men. And when I travel, and I've been traveling since 17 years old, which is exactly half my life now, being 34, um, I, I believe that discipleship, and this is very important to me, and I might talk about it later some, but discipleship, I see it as three things. In the word, in the way, and in the work. 
In other words, when I, if I'm discipling someone, it's not just let's have a Bible study together. We've got to share life. They need to see me when I'm frustrated. They need to see me when I repent. They need to see me when I'm tired. They need to see me when I'm rejoicing or when I'm not rejoicing and I need to, again, turn back to what the Lord's called me to. So with that said is I want to invite men to share life with me. And part of that is traveling, um, being together. Right now, Hudson, Hudson and I have traveled many, many times together. And I believe discipleship's two ways. He's changed my life greatly. So it's definitely both ways. I'm blessed because of him. I don't want you to think like, oh, this is my poor child that I'm trying to get to become godly. <laughs> like, that is definitely not the case. Um, that's definitely not the case. I'm sure I've been far greater blessed by Hudson than he's ever been blessed by me. But, but that being said, these 33 guys were primarily men that have traveled with me over the past uh, six, seven years. And then also um, some, some others just that I've worked very closely alongside. Um, and then a couple of them were family members. So really, it's about discipleship, and that's why they so were 33. Did, um, did Priyanka have trouble finding 33? Uh, she, didn't, she didn't do 33. She, didn't she, uh, <laughs> she stopped at 20. She, at first, she was like trying, and she's like, Nathan, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm just not going to do 33. I was like, that's fine. Well, we have two women per men, but that didn't quite work out either. So, you know, to lead them out, but uh, it was 33 to 20. <laughs> Good. It, so anyway. it was still a large group of 53. <laughs> so, so I have, a, I have another question here that uh, related to that. Um, so this is using a little, uh, little um, terminology that, uh, well, you probably get it, but it says, how does it feel to be part of the Malu family? That's Malayali family. I, I think what I, I said. I want to make sure that we ask some yeah, not no. so serious questions as well. I, I, oh, I love it. I love all the questions. You can ask me about bungee jumping, anything you want. I, I, I don't care. Um, it's sweet. But I, I want to tell you something. I love. <laughs> I, I love people, period. And so I love having a bigger family now. That's exciting to me. And I'm honored to be part of the Malayali community. And already, way before, way before I was even uh, associated with Priyanka, I was speaking at FIBA and IBF and Southeastern, Southwestern, whatever, Northeastern, all these, uh, all these directions, conferences they have. And they were precious, precious friends for many years. I mean, if it not in the hundreds, maybe even thousands of just, and not to mention coming to, to Kerala and, and ministering there. So already they were dear to me. But I have to say that within the body of Christ, I truly feel that my family is every person that belongs to Christ. And I'm not just saying that. Like, I could not feel like you're more a family member if you were from Priyanka's family or born my brother. So yes, the answer is I'm thankful. I'm honored. I love the culture. The food's phenomenal. Although you can up the spiciness. Um, I like it as spicy as you can make it. Okay. Sometimes they, they, they think, cause I got white skin. I can't handle it. I'm the last person eating. Okay, guys, come on. I, I, I never find food too spicy in India. The only country that one time got it uh, to where I love it. If I'm not crying, it's not spicy enough. Um, Thailand one time succeeded. Um, and then uh, Senegal occasionally. But um, all that to say is I, I love all of you guys. You are my family, and I'm honored to be with you. So, Nate, uh, ha- having lived in the U.S. and been to some of these 
conferences, the the FIBA and the IBF, Many. Northeast, Southeast, whatever yes. you mentioned. So, so you know, we have an inside joke in our community that uh, that one of the reasons that people go to these conferences, yeah, so that they can make sure that they. Kids- I've wanted to make a documentary <laughs> for years on it. <laughs> I, I've talked with extensively with some of my friends there at these conferences, and, and we, we've already figured out like what the documentary would look like, but um, we have yet to actually execute it. So I think there's some truth to that, though. Oh, there's absolutely you know, truth. Keep, keep oh, even after I came to India last time, brother, I got added to all these Facebook groups that were for matchmaking. I think it was all the parents. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, it was, it was different. Uh, but in the end, I did marry Malayali, so yeah, yeah. maybe it had something there to do with it. They, there you go. They yeah, knew what they were doing. <laughs> no, I did not find her online. Huh? Tell what? Oh, yes. So let's, uh, let's, uh, you mentioned the bungee jumping, right? Um, so, um, you know, you're a guy who enjoys having fun. Yes, uh, it's, I it's do. obvious from what we see. So, how does fun fit into the Christian life? So, there might be people who say, oh, that's, that's worldly. And you mentioned, you know, about knowing Christ yeah. and all that. So, what's, what's Nate's theology of fun? Well, first of all, um, Hudson knows very well this because uh, when the guy, when we travel together, one thing is we might finish a whole week of ministry and now we're traveling to another location. We're going to look up online, okay, are there any cliffs we can jump off of? Are there any, um, you know, can we go hang gliding before our next stop? Like, and I think part of that is God's created us for adventure and, and the ultimate is to be part of the story he's part of. Uh, not part of, that he's orchestrating, sorry. Um, but... All creation declares the glory of God, and I am mesmerized by this world that God put us in. I love beauty. Like, I want to stop and look at a flower. When I'm in countries, I pick bouquets all the time for Priyanka, and it's just like, I want to, I want to bring back every pretty flower that I found on my walk. Like, I want to stop, and, and like, when I'm walking through a meadow, I just think, hang on, there's a flower over there that literally nobody's ever going to notice if I don't walk aside and go look at it. And so I go aside and I just marvel at, wow, God, you put that much detail into that flower and I want to make sure I give you glory for it before it, fl- it withers and fades. Like, that's uh, like the way I think. I want to look up at the stars and enjoy it. But the same thing is true. I want to enjoy the laws of gravity. Um, come on, this is beautiful. Let's fall through the air for 50 feet and plunge into water. Let's swim with sharks. Let's, let's have some fun. I mean, like, and in that fun, never lose sight of the glory of God. Be in awe of how small you are. Be in awe of how beautiful the world is that God has made. But at the same time, be wise. I don't seek to do anything that's foolish. So you're like, oh, that sounds foolish. It's really not. Like, I might, I might like bruise my foot, okay? But like, I, I'm not jumping off 85 foot cliffs. Like, I know, I, I research, I do my limits, I, I am checking out, like, I really am like a very safe, individual like i don't mind dying but i don't want to die stupid that's all um if i bungee jump i go to places with a hundred percent safety record over 20 years so if i am that statistic man that's an impressive statistic okay that's all i'm saying so uh all that uh, all, all that noted is we're far greater danger getting into a car in india and driving than we are any bungee jumping going on so very good so nate uh so part, part, of, uh, part of fun, can you all hear me in the back? Yeah, okay. So part of fun is entertainment. Um, so in, in the book, uh, this is a quote from your book. Uh, it says, following Christ is not about adopting an avoidance mentality, right? But as Christians, should, um, 
should we draw the line on what entertainment we consume or participate in and yes. and, and how would we do that what would absolutely we absolutely but what defines the entertainment that that we ought to participate in i think is this how does it cause me to treasure christ more to me that's always the lens and here's the thing and and, and this is not an excuse okay or a compromise i really don't believe it is but it's going to be different for us it'll be different for our maybe the younger generation in some ways now in nothing should we sin but sometimes what's useful for me to communicate with my generation that they might treasure christ that i might treasure christ more fully is going to be different than a 70 year old and, and that's totally okay in fact even in scripture we learn for some it is sin like for instance uh, my parents grew up never going to a movie theater for them it was sin now they don't have any issue whatsoever going now to if there's if there's something that you know whatever they want to see like that's not they're not convicted by it. but growing up as kids it was in their family no i think the first movie my dad went to see was a billy graham movie that they were showing in a theater and and his parents did end up going to that but all that to say is i don't want to encourage anybody to go against your conscience because the lord truly does put us in different environments he puts us ministering with different people and at times it's going to play out slightly differently in what we um what we absorb but again that does not give a license to sin in any way and it always needs to go through the filter of how does it cause me to treasure Christ more am i wisely using my time for the glory of god uh, again like even a film that might come out that that is totally fine to watch what sometimes that is my greatest door of discipleship or opportunity to hang out with an individual that i know i need to hang out with for hours on end we'll go out to dinner first why i know he wants to go see that film and together we can spend this quality time and i'll tell you relationships get built we can say it's an excuse but it's worked for years and i've seen lives that truly have been transformed through things that some would say i don't have the freedom to do that So I want to just ask you come back to this question does this bring glory to God because in 1 Corinthians 10:31 whether I eat or whether I drink or whatever I do do it all to the glory of God that's what we have to come back to if it's not bringing God glory don't do it very good so so again it's not it's not about rules it's not about you know am I stepping over the line it's about am I bringing Amen. glory to the lord yeah. yeah so so i want to talk a little bit about social media hi. um so, <laughs> hi okay, all right thank you <laughs> need a little rest <laughs> so social media so you you are quite uh, quite a big user i think of social media so just so that just so that my kids think i'm cool uh, I, i'll uh, I, i'll uh, So so I I checked your Instagram and from that I I could tell that in the last 2 weeks you've been in Mumbai, Amsterdam, Minneapolis, Omaha, Orlando and Greenville. Does that sound right? Sounds sounds right. <laughs> so uh, a lot of young people sometimes not so young they they sort of get carried away and post too much of their personal lives and yep. on social media. What what advice do you have in terms of as believers as Christians? First you know, of all, what's the good way, bad way uh you know exactly the last question social media do it to the glory of god 
So what I see as social media is I see as a community. And my generation, I can access more on um, Instagram, in intellectual generation, a little bit more on Twitter. Facebook is kind of a broader scope, um, definitely moving a little bit more up into the older demographic as well. But um, my desire with social media is to communicate Christ clearly through everyday life. And part of everyday life doesn't mean being ultra-spiritual. Part of it is a daily journal. So on Instagram, I try to post one picture a day on Instagram. And I call it a daily journal in one picture. Now, I don't always do it. I'll skip some days. But the idea of that one picture a day is it keeps people kind of up-to-date on life if they want to be. They're not forced to be because it's just there. But in the middle of that, and I've got loads of Muslim friends that are, that are my friends on there, and then a lot of friends just that uh, don't hold any particular religion. But here's the thing. As they walk through life with me, I know tough times are going to come. I'm waiting for that. I'm ex- that's why you know, I keep coming back to like cancer or, or uh, tragedies that happen. I don't enjoy that, but now's the opportunity. And they walk with your life when you are in Amsterdam and when you are in Omaha or you are in India. But then those moments come where the door opens by God to now pour into them. So that's one reason I really try to stay on social media. Honestly, I told my wife the other day, I was like, man, I I wish I could just get off all social media. But I know that that's not the Lord that wants me to do that right now. That's what I want just because... But it doesn't have to be time-consuming. So on Facebook, let me give you one little thing I do. It's called a bus. I made it up, so you you don't look it up anywhere. You won't find it. A bus. And it stands for three things. Birthdays, unanswered notes, and spirit-led. And so when I get on Facebook, I want to get on the bus. Maybe I'll post first if I have something that I wanted to post that day. But first, maybe wish a few people a happy birthday uh, and just encouraging note. Unanswered notes. If there's notes I need to answer that day, then um, answer those notes. And then the Lord, during that time of prayer that I talked about, thinking through things, and during the course of my day, he brings people to my mind and says, you need to communicate this to them, or you need to encourage them, or just tell them you're praying for them. And so I'll write a little note to them and just say, hey, Lord brought this to my mind today. He brought you to my mind. And you just don't even know what you're doing, but you're just obeying the spirit. And then you get off. So get on the bus, get off the bus, and don't let it, don't let it be something that controls you. One final thing I'll say is this. If you're going to get on social media, I'm speaking to myself, by the way, okay? This is like not just for you because I definitely violate this, but I believe it's true. Don't get on social media or check it unless you know specifically what you're looking for. So in other words, that's fine to check your Instagram feed during the day. That's great. But don't just open it up and just check it constantly and check it constantly. Like when you get on Know what you're getting on for. I want to see this person, or I just want to see, is there anything I need to look at? And maybe that's once a day, or maybe that's twice a day you do that. But be intentional, because I think the problems come when we're not intentional, and we start wasting time, or we get into things that we should never have gotten into in the first place. So, like anything, social media can be used for the glory of God, or it can be used as a tool of the enemy. So... That, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you about next. Uh, and I know you're, you, you put out this hashtag. By the way, uh, we're at 9.30, but is everybody okay to go another half an hour? Yeah, okay, good. Um, they don't have anything else to do anyway. They're, you they're won't hurt here. my feelings, though, if you want to go to bed. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I so, will use you tomorrow in Joven's place. <laughs> 
So, so Nate, uh, you, you put out this hashtag when you, um, uh, you know, when you had the cancer diagnosis. You know, hashtag, it, it is about Christ and not cancer. So just tell us, just for our information, so that we can pray for you uh, about your cancer. What's the treatment plan? You know, is it, is it an aggressive form of cancer? What, what, what are you free to talk about? So there's still a bit of ambiguity in it, and that's why I haven't been very clear. Um, so we, the, the, the original, um, the doctors didn't find anything to start with, and that's what was interesting because um, I had just got my thyroid checked, and I had everything else uh, checked, and I, they were like, you look like a 20-year-old inside. So I was like, nothing, the blood work, all this stuff, cardiology appointments. But I felt something in my neck, and, uh, and I felt it for a few months. And so when the doctor's visits were over, I said, hang on, one thing I want you just to check before you leave. And so, like, literally, you can feel it. Like, it's right. And so when he felt it, he's like, yeah, that, 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 that's not normal. It doesn't belong there. Let's get an ultrasound. And he got an ultrasound, and they realized I have this, like, cyst in my neck, but it's actually floating. Like, it's not actually connected to even the thyroid. I have a nodule in the thyroid as well, but this is a floating one, floating cyst. And so when the doctor saw it, he's like, it needs to come out, but I don't know, like, exactly what it is, and it's a, like it's going to involve a kind of a major incision, so I can't do it in my office. You need to go to a spe- an ENT. I went to an ENT. When he saw it, he's like, yeah, I, this is different. I haven't ever seen one like this. So he's like, let's do a needle biopsy. He did the needle biopsy, and he, um, he was surprised, but it came back cancer. Now, you, we can call it thyroid cancer, but that's more like what's on the thyroid. So apparently I have thyroid cancer um, with a nodule on there, but that, that's a very good form of cancer to have, um, especially papillary thyroid cancer. The problem is, is the nodule still has not really been identified. It's cancerous, but it's not even attached to the thyroid. So I'm now going to have a, special, uh, a specialist who only focuses on thyroids, and Lord willing, he's seen cases like this before. Um, and so I'll go to him November 1st for another ultrasound, and then November 2nd, I have surgery to remove my entire thyroid and obviously the nodule. But at that point, we'll kind of, we'll, they'll, they'll kind of take a lot more samples and find out, um, was the other one associated with the thyroid, or is it another form of cancer, or has it spread to any other um, systems in the body, especially like lymphatic system or whatever the case is. So, uh, so there's still some variables there, uh, but the first course of action is to um, get my thyroid removed completely. And, um, and then take it from there. As far as uh, treatment plans, radiation, things of that nature, uh, those will all kind of follow after what they find in surgery. So, but the Lord was so good. He's uh, always good. I don't like saying that. The Lord's always good. He was gracious. Um, the, the doctor that I have, that I'm going to, first of all, I just found out yesterday, or yeah, yesterday on the way back from the airport, right, in Mumbai, that um, my insurance is going to cover it all, which is such a blessing because if you saw on Facebook, it's been kind of a, like they, they, they didn't really work with this hospital that I had to go to for this one doctor. But this doctor is looked on as one of the best thyroid doctors in North America um, and one that's known around the world for just practicing thyroids. That's all he does. And he didn't have any appointments to see me until at least January. But they tried to call me on a Tuesday night and I was off speaking somewhere. So I missed the call. I called them back Wednesday morning. I, I said, so can I set up an appointment then? She says, well, the first appointment is January. I said, can you just check again? Have there been any cancellations? She said, well, last night when I called you, the first appointment was January, but I'll check. 
and during the night, because I missed that call, somebody had canceled perfectly for right after this India trip. And the Lord worked it out for me to get in November 1st and November 2nd. My first actual appointment's the day after I get back from India, and then I've got those two. So the Lord just graciously even worked out the dates and timeline, because then I have to head back to West Africa two weeks after surgery. So he really worked it out perfectly. Um, but so you can just be praying for the Lord's will to be done. Um, it's interesting. I've had tears come to my eyes twice since I heard the news. And both times they were pure tears of joy because kids in my life that didn't want to communicate for the lives they were living reestablished communication with me because of this. And all that came out of my mouth, and I don't say this to be heroic, I say it because the Lord just, this is what he does. I literally just blurted out loud to the Lord in my car by myself. I said, God, if this is the result, why did you not give me cancer earlier? This is great. I feel so blessed. Cancer is an answer to prayer. Kids in my life that I love, and obviously just to know him more. So you can pray that the Lord heals it. That's great. And I'll say amen if he does. Um, you can pray that just the Lord is fully glorified in it. And I'll say amen because that's what I really want. So it's a great journey. There's no bad ending. Um, so we trust him. Just pray that he uses every step of the way. Your, um, your, the way that you, you're dealing with this is, is really a, a challenge to all of us. So the, the reaction that you had, was it, did it come instantaneously, naturally, or, or was there a sort of a moment where you had to sort of work yourself towards that? I think the moment was years ago, like a long time ago, and just seeing that, uh, that, that, that these, like kind of the, the message I, I gave this evening about just like opportunities for the gospel, it's like once you have that perspective, you're looking for God to give you those opportunities. And when they come, it's like, yes, that's it. So when you prepare for something beforehand, it's like basketball. I don't know how many times in my backyard growing up, I took the buzzer shot, right? The on the buzzer, three-pointer, fade away, boom, and swish. I was ready for that moment. So you know what? When I was playing basketball in a league, I had that buzzer moment. I didn't have to wonder what it was going to be like, right? I was ready to take the shot. I had practiced it 100 times in my backyard. And don't worry, I made the shot. All right, now... Same thing with these things. You prepared for the moment. And when it comes, it's like, thank you, Lord. And so I can, I can tell you, I struggled with many things years ago on these kinds of things. But this time, it was actually the Lord had prepared the heart. So I, I can say that it was instantaneous. But the Lord was gracious, too, to give us so many appointments with doctors to where we kind of saw something coming with a problem. So it was kind of a gradual procession, but at the same time, the peace was there. So there's, there's a question here related to this, uh, Nate, uh, from the... I'm sorry. You want to take the mic? I actually recall a time in the Hello Express, the van that Nate and I travel in before. Um, you had a friend that had cancer, right? And I remember you saying about how joyful he was and how impactful it was. And I actually specifically remember you saying to me, I would be totally fine and actually somewhat happy if the Lord were to someday give me cancer. Like, uh, that was actually a conversation from probably a year or two ago. Yeah. So, Nate, here's a question related to that. Uh, What would you count a greater joy, getting healed out of cancer and preaching uh, gospel 
to people all around the globe or happily accepting the suffering of cancer and being by the side of Jesus. I want to be I want to be with Christ. I want to be with Christ. Um absolutely, but it's also selfish. Um so if the Lord has me here for another 60 years, I'm totally content. It's not what I want, but I'm totally content. And I, I don't believe, I really don't, don't believe my, my job is finished. And what I mean by that, it's not that the world needs me. It's not that you need the ministry I have brought. It's the Lord's working in me. He's changing me. And I believe there's just some more molding he wants to do for his glory. But that being said, if I die through this disease, he will raise up far more than just someone to take my place, I believe he'll raise up an army of young people that will more than do it. So the world will suffer no loss if Nate Bramson goes home to be with him, not with the Lord. That's not my concern that the world needs what I can give. But if the Lord chooses to keep me here, I pray I will run the race with endurance. It's a lot easier to run 34 years of endurance than 84 years. So if the Lord keeps me here, it's the harder route, but may we be found faithful, whoever we are. So you're, you're 34 years old. 34. Okay. So folks, he got married at 34, right? 30, 33. 30. Uh, see, here's the thing. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life at 33 years old. So I told people for many years, I said, <laughs> I'm either going to die or get married at 33. Either way, I lose my life. <laughs> so, True story. <laughs> Nate, uh, here's, a, here's a question from the audience. Um, I want to be clo- more closer with Christ. I know the cost, carrying the cross and following him, and suffering that requires, but I'm afraid of that and never ask the Lord to reveal more of him. How do I overcome my fear? It's beautiful. It's simple obedience step by step. God doesn't give you the grace for what you're going to go through. He gives you the grace for what you're going through. And that's, that's the thing about walking with Christ. If you look to the future of all the things that could happen, you're going to worry and you're going to be afraid. But God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. I want to encourage you. Walk with him today and be fully obedient today. Let him choose the suffering that will come in your life. Let him choose the persecution that will ensue. Let him choose all. You don't need to seek for that. I don't need to go get huge doses of radiation from Hiroshima so I can get cancer like that. No. Let the Lord, let the Lord allow things and then use that moment. So whoever you are, and there's probably a lot of us, just take it moment by moment. All you have is today. We might all be with the Lord by midnight. He might come again. He's coming soon. I absolutely believe that. So with that in mind, just be obedient now. And what does he say to us in John 14, 21? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it's he that loves me. And, and he, my father, will love and I will love and I will manifest myself to him. God shows himself to those who walk in obedience. So as you walk in obedience, he'll give you the package of grace and mercy for that day. And you probably won't even realize you're going through a hard time because it's going to be a joy. So Nate, here's another popular question. I think you alluded to a story earlier about uh, 
uh, where the question is you, the time you were burnt. I don't know if you were actually burnt, but, but probably talking about the village, right? You talked about the village uh, in Niger. Oh, the burning story? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So the question is what was going through your mind and how did the Lord rescue you from that? Well, first of all, I, I won't tell the story right now. I'll try to tell it to you guys later um, because it would, it would take a you know, significant five minutes. But um, it's also fully in chapter 22 in there. Uh, the amazing part of that story is we were completely surrounded. The fire was already lit underneath us, um, and it was in the middle of a traffic jam. So we have hundreds of witnesses. The story is actually even written up in the United States Department of Defense Journal um, because – it shut down the U.S. Embassy temporarily and whatnot. I mean, there was a lot that happened. But uh, the, the the escape was completely miraculous. Um, if you've ever watched like a Bourne Ultimatum movie, it was basically like one of the driving a driving scene from that. Like up on the sidewalks, it was um, I, I had to hit one car, um, like literally bump into them to push them back further. And don't worry, like he was he knew exactly what was going on. Nobody was hurt. Um, I even reported to the police. I'm like, if this taxi driver shows up and he's like, you know, somebody hit my car, it's probably me. Like, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> but, but the whole story was absolutely miraculous escape because it looked like there was no way out. But here's the cool part of the whole story. After the whole thing was over, and by the way, during that time, I just was a little bit surprised to answer the question. I was like, wow, I didn't think it was going to end this way. I didn't think I was going to be burned alive in my car with three of my buddies. Like, I, just, I was just kind of, it was more like a shocking moment. And then I realized I have a responsibility to try to escape. So I, I did, and obviously the Lord rescued us. After we pulled out of that whole thing and we're on a side road and we're safe, two thoughts came to my mind. First thought was disappointment. I was like, I was that close to being eternally with the Lord, like that close. And, okay, you don't, you don't have to like this, and you don't have to say it's right or anything, okay? So I'm sorry if... if but I always had the dream of getting to give my life for Christ. And so it was like really close to having my dream come true. So I was disappointed. Second thought, we need to pray for those guys out there because they really need Jesus. So we stopped right there and we prayed for them. We thanked the Lord for what he did. Then we called the embassy, and they told us to go back to our place and shelter in place until they figure out it was an attack on us or just a random attack. After I got back to my place, this is February of 2013, I posted on Facebook because I had a question. I knew something. I knew that I wasn't driving the car. I was, but I, I knew I wasn't driving the car. And I knew that something miraculous had happened. So I put up on Facebook something like, who was praying for us at 3.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, because it was 9.30 in the morning in Niger, when God saved me and my three friends from being burned alive? That's all. I started to get message after message, not the public messages, private messages. And here's a, here's a glimpse. I got a message from a girl in Oregon, so West Coast United States. And she says, I was woke up at 12.30 at night, exact same time, and I had a dream of a fiery furnace, and you were in it. And I started praying for your deliverance. A guy in Missouri at 2.30 in the morning, exact same time, woke up with me in his mind, and he started praying Romans 8, 38 and 39. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Shall death? Shall life? And he was praying for me. A girl in South Carolina woke up at 2.30, an hour before, and for an entire hour she couldn't sleep in the night, and she prayed for me and my friends over there, that God would watch over us. At 3.30, she had peace to go back to sleep. 
Another guy who's never met me, but his daughter knows me from conferences, had been waking up every night at 3.30, Massachusetts time, so exact same time, 9.30 in the morning, praying for me, and he doesn't even know me. Another guy a couple hours ahead over in Cyprus was praying at 11.30 in the morning, Lord, would you send Nathan through the fire today? There's so many stories of what the Lord was doing, but the point being is at the exact moment that the fire was lit, God had his people around the world on their knees. And I just realized that that whole thing was just a supernatural demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. The way my friend described it, he said the Holy Spirit was gossiping. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. We are a body. We're connected. I might be the little toe, and you might be a nerve ending. But I'll tell you this much. We really are connected, and we affect each other. When I stub my toe, I feel your nerve. And so all that to say is the body of Christ was indeed standing in the gap for me and my three guys. Praise God. So here's maybe moving uh, on to a slightly different uh, subject here. A question from the audience. Do we have a responsibility to fight social injustices like poverty and and so on? Uh, If so, how would you recommend believers and churches engaging in activism or social work while still focusing on the gospel? I encourage whoever asked this question to come talk with me more extensively later on um, because it's a great question. I, I believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, we do have the responsibility to love souls as Christ loves souls. But I don't think it's a matter of taking political um, positions per se. It's a matter of, uh, of responding to lives. And so what I say by that is look at the example of Moses. God put in Moses' heart uh, a passion for the injustice of the, of the Israelites, okay? And so there genuinely was, in Exodus chapter 2, um, something God had given Moses. But what did he look at? He looked at the problem. When you read verses 13 to 15 of Exodus 2, you'll see that it's like when he saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew. What does he do? He looks at the problem, and he tries to fix the problem. And what ends up happening? He kills a guy. And then the long story short is he can't live in Egypt anymore. He's exiled to the wilderness for 40 years, and God has him in the University of the Wilderness to teach him humility and a few other things. I want to encourage you that God does have us involved in helping the poor. He does have us involved in speaking for those that can't speak for themselves. That's Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9. That's a godly man. The rest of the chapter is about the, the, the godly woman. But the first part is about a godly man. So yes, be involved in injustice like that's uh he is showing you what is right right that uh, that we should uh that we should love mercy um and walk humbly with god. that we should do justice love mercy and walk humbly with our god micah 6 8 so with that being said make sure that when we pursue justice social justice we're not doing it at the expense of hating another soul like for instance trafficking or girls that are, or boys too, that are taken into the sex industries in the world. Let me ask you, as we seek to love and, and minister and rescue and whatever, let's make sure we never turn towards hating those that are blind that are actually perpetuating the whole problem. That's also not Christ's perspective. What did he say from the cross, the ones crucified him? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think oftentimes we slap blind people because we see one side of the problem, but we don't see it from eternal perspective. So yes, pour out, give until you can give no more, love the refugee, care for the poor. 
Don't worry if you're wronged, but at the same time, don't take sides in such a way where some are cut off from the love of God through you. Okay, Nate, um, moving on to a very different subject, um, something more practical. Uh, some people have told me that an occasional drink is okay. I guess that means alcoholic drink. Uh, what would be the biblical viewpoint on this? Okay, we're going to go back to what I said way earlier <laughs> on whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do. Do it all to the glory of God. Um, I, it's funny. There's different perspectives. I'll, I'll go to the island that Hudson's from. And many people on that island, if you have a drink, they view you as, uh, as a lost soul. Um, and then I'll go to France, and the elders are the first ones pouring the wine. Um, and both really, really love the, the Lord. The elders here don't do that. What's that? They don't do it here? No. Well, go to France. They'll, they'll pour it for you. Don't worry. Um, same thing with Germany. Uh, and what I started to realize is the issue is not the liquid. The issue is always the heart. And what I mean by that is let's not use this as an excuse. I'm not saying it's okay, and I'm not saying it's not okay. What I am saying is are we being completely controlled by the Lord? We ought to never have to have anything, and that includes food. That's why fasting is an important practice so that in your life, You never need anything in this world. You're not addicted to food. You're not addicted to drink. And let me just say this. For many, maybe for most, stay away from it. Do you need it? Is it helping you? All right. But you know what? Maybe there'll be somebody here who actually it will be in some way, not an addiction, not a temptation even, but maybe you'll be a bridge at some point. Maybe you'll just avoid, uh, avoid standing on a, on, a, on a platform that ends up uh, just cutting you off from even being able to talk to somebody. I don't know. But what I do know without a doubt is whether you eat or whether you don't eat, whether you drink or whether you don't drink, make sure you're doing it all to the glory of God. And make sure, as Ephesians 5 tells us, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, not wine, not things of the world, but be filled with him. And as you're filled with him, these things won't be controlling you. So that's, that's what I'll say on that. And you're like, man, you are not taking a side. I am taking a side. Are you glorifying God in the action? That's my side. Nate, you mentioned uh, that you went through depression. Yes. So we have a question here from the audience. How... Did you deal with anxiety, depression, panic attacks? Oh, that's a, such a great question. First of all, I was the kind of guy that I never expected to deal with depression. I never expected uh, to, to be discouraged in a way where I literally wanted to. And I know this sounds dumb to those of you that have never struggled with depression. But to those of you that have, you know how your mind is not thinking straight. I never thought I'd be the kind of guy that just thought, man... Let me grab a kitchen knife and plunge it into my chest. And, and that sounds so ridiculous, and yet that's where you get to. Now, with all that being said, I'll tell you why depression came in my life. It was right when I started university, and I got my eyes off of what Christ called me to, and I started putting expectations on myself that nobody else was putting on me least of all, the Lord. 
And I started trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And I started getting overwhelmed because I was trying to live a life I wasn't called to live. And I slowly, not very slowly, over a few weeks, sunk into a very deep depression. I remember calling my dad and saying, I don't think I can keep doing this. I don't think I can live. And he said, hold on a couple hours. And he drove a couple hours to come be with me. And I'll tell you what ended up changing my life. Colossians 3.3. And again, it sounds ridiculous, but it said, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. And I realized that, hang on, I'm a dead man. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. And if that's true, how can a dead man be depressed? And I realized my depression was based off of my life not turning out the way I wanted it to turn out. And I realized it was based off of my perceptions of what I should be. And all the Lord wanted from me was me, to love him, to know him. And when that freedom came, I I can honestly say the Lord lifted me out of depression. Now, the panic attacks, panic attacks I have had, the most recent panic attack was probably about three years ago. Um, And if you've ever had a panic attack, you absolutely know it's just... It's like an attack from the enemy. And when, I, when I've had these, I literally just have to just nonstop just call on the name of Jesus. And oftentimes, like I, last time I was in a hotel room, actually I was in uh, Thailand in Bangkok and I was traveling through and I was like on the 15th floor of a hotel and this panic attack hits and all the devils say, I mean, I'm serious when I say this, like he's just pouring into you saying, jump off the balcony, jump off the balcony. And it's like, if you've never had one, you don't even know what I'm talking about. But if you have, you know exactly what I'm saying. Like, it's like, it's this incredible impulse and just like a barrage of a demonic attack. And I just start calling the name of Jesus. And as I'm calling the name of Jesus, I'm like getting dressed and walking out the door the opposite way and going down the elevator to the bottom. And I just start walking the streets praying until it passes. I'm so thankful the Lord gave me these panic attacks, allowed the enemy, just like Job, to provide that form of attack because it has made me so sensitive to those that do, to those that, that go into depression at times. And I just want to tell you that if you are one of those ones or if you've ever been suicidal or if you're dealing with just discouragement or even doubts, that's a whole other topic. And please talk to me about that too. But if you are, we can talk and I can give you more details, but I'll leave it there just saying the Lord really brought me out by, by showing me, Nathan, your life's not your own. Stop stressing about what isn't even yours. And trust me, I love you more than you love yourself. I've got plans for you bigger than your own plans. So chill. Whatever you do, do it for my glory. I'll work out the rest. Nate, uh, here's a question. You were talking about transparency. So the question is, as I understood about God being our strength and our weakness, but how can people see, through, see Christ through my sin and brokenness? Well, I think when your sin and brokenness is... Um, is being seen through what, what, what really I'm saying there is it's not that they don't see your sin. They see that you've been forgiven. They see a savior. They see the fact that you have peace and you have hope despite who you are. Um, and so really what you're leading them to is the end result. And so in your sin and brokenness, they don't see somebody like imagine Philip just has no, like he just presents this persona of I've got it all together. Well, They're going to see Philip who has it all together. But when he recognizes who he really is and his sin and brokenness, 
they're going to say, hang on, here's a guy who, who truly, he's not perfect. He doesn't have it all together. These are things that he's had to walk through in life, and yet he's forgiven? How can that be? And yet he has hope, and yet he has peace, and yet he has a story, and yet he's willing to extend himself, and yet, and yet. And you see, in that brokenness, that's when people really see that the answer is Christ. And I think that's the beautiful part. It's not the sin that they end up focusing on. It's the answer to our sin problem. It's the answer to our struggles. It's the answer to really what first drew their attention. Okay, I'm going to ask you a few, maybe uh, these are quick ones. Uh, uh, How do you remember so many Bible portions? Is it because the Lord has blessed you with a great memory or do you work hard at memorizing Scripture? I actually don't work hard at memorizing Scripture. There's a Bible study method that I just kind of started doing myself. It's actually in the back of the book. It's in the appendix. And, uh, and if you study the Word of God that way, you just automatically memorize it. Now you're intrigued. Read the appendix. Okay. Do, you, uh, do you buy... Just download it for free, brother. Do you by any chance know any Malayalam? Any what? Malayalam. No, I do not. My wife doesn't even speak it, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> She's no help to me in that regard. But we smile when we hear it. <laughs> Good. Um, what, what is the thread on your wrist about? You have a thread on your wrist? Right here. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I used to have like a bunch of threads. They just fall off um, because of time. But this was made for me by a, a kid in my village in, in Niger. And it's a kid I've been praying for for many years for their salvation. In fact, if you go on my Facebook page, the cover photo has this girl in it. And she's been um, top on my prayer list for about the last five years, six years. There's about 10,000 people around the world praying for her. Her name's Salamatu. She's got a crazy story. Um, the enemy has tried to just hold her um, in his grasp, but I truly believe she's going to be saved. And so it's just a constant reminder to pray for her. But she actually made this bracelet um, and gave it to me. So I wear it um, okay. as a prayer reminder. But I normally would wear more. It's just that they've disintegrated. Who has been your mentor? My father would be the first one, I would say. But after that... Uh, I definitely, I never had older men come alongside and intentionally choose to mentor me. But I will say the men that I get to disciple have also been my mentors. Um, because together as we share life and you just see how you don't look like Christ, that's really been the best mentoring process. So I want to encourage those of you that have the excuse right now that I've never been discipled. Just obey. Start discipling others. And in that relationship, you're going to find that the Lord actually meets the very thing your heart was looking for. Any testimony or a godly life, any book or person in real life that really convicted you? Well, the, the book you studied two years ago was the most influential book outside of the Word of God for me, True Discipleship by William MacDonald, without a doubt. Um, in fact, uh, the, this book, What If Jesus Meant What He Said, is without a doubt uh, influenced by that one um, greatly and just getting a lot of these thoughts rolling. Uh, I would also say... Practicing the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence that I mentioned earlier today. And another one is by a man named Leonard Ravenhill, Why Revival Tarries. Powerful book. Um, A lot like true discipleship in the sense that you'll leave uncomfortable, but you'll be very thankful you read it and you'll need to read it again in a year. Okay. um, Just trying to see which ones to pick here. What are the simple steps that help us to behold Christ? Suggestions that help to grow in intimacy with Christ. Maybe you'll cover this in the messages. 
Uh, or if you want yeah, to I, I think we'll probably talk about this more. But without a doubt, if it's a question that you're asking and you really want to talk about this, um, come talk. But I'll say go back to the disciplines. When you really get back to that discipline of just knowing him on a daily basis, that's going to fall into place. So here's another one. Uh, people take advantage of us when we live out Christ, feel violated when I'm taken advantage of, literally being a doormat when we don't see Christ in the middle of it. I'm not sure the question is there. but I, I, I get it, though. I get it. Okay. Um, I know how you feel. It's okay. Christ was violated in that way. Um, many times over, he, it says in John chapter two, that he did not entrust himself to any man. In other words, the problem is not that you're being violated. And the problem is not that you're being wronged. And the problem is not that people are using you. The problem is that you have the expectation that they won't. You live in a world that's full of sin and corruption, but your reward is not in how they respond. Your reward is in obedience to the word. And so your reward is with you. Be encouraged that the Lord sees. So even if man doesn't acknowledge or appreciate or takes advantage, that's okay. All right. I think we'll close with this one. It's a good one to close on. Uh, I mean, I, I've got plenty of questions that I've written down, but I think a lot of them you'll cover in the, in the sessions. Um, and by the way, if anybody has more questions, maybe you posted something we didn't ask. Uh, please feel free to please. Uh, talk to Nate in person. Absolutely. Um, okay. So here's the last one, Nate. Uh, any suggestions for those who want to serve the Lord as a missionary evangelist? Please share. It says share your experience, but maybe just focus on the suggestions yeah. part. Well, very clearly, as we look in the Word of God, the journey does not start with your feet. It starts with your knees. And I want to encourage you, if that is your heart, the best way for that heart to be formed is in the prayer closet. Uh, our journey to Niger, just as an example, started with three, me and two other guys meeting to pray. And then we realized that eh, prayer is just a part of our life, but it hasn't changed our life. So we got a group of nine guys together and locked ourselves in a room. And our first prayer meeting was a 24-hour prayer meeting from 10 at night till 10 the next night. And just prayed and fasted and just sought God's face after about 15 hours, I remember. And this is a shame to me because like, I, I can say honestly, I've barely done this since then. Um, and yet we saw the power of God. So you'll see the power of God in prayer. But um, within 15 hours, like we were just face down in the carpet, weeping un- un- uncontrollably on behalf of souls we'd never even met. And that's what happens in prayer is God doesn't exchange. He takes your heart and he gives you his. And I even actually had to pray. I'm like, Lord, can you please not give me your heart? Because I can't take it. Like, I, I just felt like my heart was breaking. Can you just give me a little bit of it? Because that's all I can handle right now. And I believe that's what the Lord did. When I first stepped foot in Niger, I literally had tears coming down my face when I stepped off the plane because I saw one of the soldiers at the bottom. And I was like, I love you so much because God had prepared my heart to love this people before I even got there. And I just want to encourage you that God wants to give us his heart more than we want his heart. So seek it. Get in the prayer closet, lock the door, find another friend or two that, that just desire to seek God. That's fine too. Have all night prayer meetings. Uh, pray until... God's done having you pray, not till you're just tired. Like, literally, pray until you're done. It says when Jesus prayed, he prayed, and when he was finished. Like, I believe Jesus prayed until, really, it was done. And so let's not cut prayer short in that way. So really, let's have prayer in our life where prayer isn't a part of our life. Prayer is the very vehicle through which we move in life. And you will 
see a heart for missions as God sees it because you'll have a heart for souls as God sees souls. Okay, Nate, thank you very much. This was very insightful, very encouraging. And, uh, Praise God. And uh, certainly I'm sure everybody will be blessed. So I, I think we could go on thank all you night. For but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll stop yeah. it there. Yeah. I appreciate so, it. Um, yeah. Is uh, Rebbe here? Rebbe? Yeah, can you just come up and close uh, in prayer? Lord, our loving Father, we just want to thank you for the uh, various ways in which we heard how you worked in his life, how you got hold of him and helped him to throw away a basketball because it was an idol in his life, how you took him through various journeys, yes, through depression, panic attacks, Many different things. But at the end of it all, what we see is that you have filled him with a love for you, to live for you, to glorify you. And that, not as a big thing that is to be done, but doing it day by day, moment by moment. Lord, we pray that we'll be uh, looking at our own lives and understanding what you want us to do every moment, making it, a, making it a practice in our life to know you, to love you, to serve you, to sit you on the throne of our hearts, that you would reign in our hearts. Just want to thank you for all the other insights we have uh, received on uh, living our lives naturally fun-filled life, and at the same time, something that glorifies you. Lord, many a time there is this ascetic mentality that comes to us, where we have to be detached from people and circumstances and be there, only then we can see you. And if you are meeting you with friends, then it's going to be a segmented life cut off from you, there's a neutral ground, there's a sinful ground, and there's a place where we serve you, Lord. Help us to understand that wherever we are, whatever we do, Lord, you want us to show you through our lives because we love you, and that love should show through us. Um, and as we go to sleep today, we pray that you would help us to be impacted by your spirit, and maybe one of the lessons that we can take home for our, the rest of our lives is you need to get up early. Men of God, get up early to hang out with their God. But it does not end there. It continues through the day. Please help us, Father, to understand our lives, make corrections where it is needed. As we thought in the morning time, Lord, if we start off at a point and move towards you and get diverted, we really don't need to come back to where we were, but from where we are to reach up to you, to begin the journey, to turn our direction back to you again. And if some of us are in that situation now, we pray that you will help us to reorient our lives 
that the direction in which we have been walking will be turned towards you. Thank you, Father, in Christ's precious name. Amen. So thank you, everybody, for your attention. Uh, so tomorrow morning we start at 7 a.m. with devotion. Please be back in this hall at 7 a.m. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have another full day uh, tomorrow. Uh, so good night. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if you want, you can continue fellowshipping. I'm sure a good number of you will. All right, good night.